Today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 to chapter 17 verses 23. That's on page 822 in the church Bible. If you don't have a church Bible, there's a stack of them up the back. Feel free to help yourself. Uh, So Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 to chapter 17 verse 23. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, His clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the the vision until the Son of Man has, is raised from the dead. Then the disciples asked him, Why do the scribes say Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, 
If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. These things we've just read today in Matthew uh, flow out, of course, from what we were thinking about last week. The, the gospel according to Matthew just flows and, and rolls on. Jesus is the son of the living God, you remember last week, and he came to die for our sin. If those two things be true, then they inevitably bring a great implication and a great clarity to our Christian faith because if the son of the living God died for our sin, then, then our hope has to centre on him. Indeed, we should say even more than that, I think, because it, it really, if you think about what Jesus is proclaiming here uh, about the kingdom of heaven, well, if, if you and I would be accepted into heaven, then, then our faith is, is all or nothing on Jesus. All or nothing on Jesus. Because otherwise, how else should we try to be forgiven of our sin? How else can we stand before God if God chose to, to account for our sin in, in this way, but by sending his beloved son to die for our sin, then, then what other hope could we try to cook up our own way? We would be defying the living God to even try if he has done this. No, we have to throw everything in with Jesus and with everything on the line. Big implications and clarity, as I say. So Jesus kicks off today's text with a big call around that uh, as to how we now map these two things out. In chapter 10 and verse 24, there Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." Our hope of this kingdom of heaven is, is all about Jesus. And not just in that paragraph, but in everything we've read just now. Jesus wants to always be fixing our eyes on, on heaven and therefore fixing our eyes on him. Because it's his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. He says it right there in verse 28. It's his kingdom. And so, and so we can only have that through following him. Verse 24 at the start of that paragraph. For what will it profit a man, verse 26, if, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul by not following Jesus, verse 24? What shall a man give in return for his soul and when Jesus has already given for him. Let's suppose we could just acquire everything in this world. 
That's a big kind of scenario he puts there, isn't it? We could acquire everything to ourselves in this life but for heaven and on this teaching, therefore, though, only through following Jesus could we enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, which of those two outcomes would actually truly be of worth? Think through the maths. Think through the maths as long as you like. At the end of the day, I tell you, it is all or it is nothing. And it is all or nothing on Jesus. And that's a pretty big call, don't you think, that Jesus makes? That it's his kingdom that we're talking about and so that it, that it has to be all or nothing on him? I mean, that's a big call. Are we hearing Jesus right on, on that gospel call? And if so, can we really trust him that, can we really trust the Son of Man that much that, that we would throw everything in with him? It's a big call. We, we can't afford to get this wrong, can we? I mean, the whole point of faith is that we want to be saved unto God, isn't it? That, that, that's the whole idea of our whole hope of heaven, isn't it? That we would be saved from the other place. To God. So if we throw everything in with Jesus and, and follow him, are we sure well, that's not kind of like abandoning what, what the scriptures have otherwise always said about following and serving God? We have to be very careful as we think through the gospel of Jesus. Because if he isn't going to fulfill God's promises and bring us to God, then... Surely the danger on the flip side of that is that he's only otherwise going to lead us astray. It's an epic call in that first paragraph today and it calls for an epic scene, I think, as we push into chapter 17. If we want to get Jesus and, and make sure we get Jesus right, then maybe going up this mountain might help. Chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. I don't actually know if, if anything like that has ever happened before. Anywhere ever before this and, and nor ever again. Not in scripture that I can think of, nor outside of scripture, I would think, either. And, and the words there that's trying to catch this for us in verse 2, that he was transfigured, as most of our English Bibles say. I don't know about you, it doesn't really hit me. It doesn't hit me, I think, as much as it should hit me, the impact of what's actually happening here. The original language here has more impact on me. Jesus was metamorphosed before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Has that ever happened anywhere else at any other time? Metamorphose? Mere man one minute, and, and then next thing, face shining like the sun, and, and gl clothes gleaming like light? I mean, the state he changed into is, is used in scripture. 
Sure. Sometimes it's used of angels. Sometimes it's used of the Son of Man in his glory in places like Daniel 7 we thought of last week and in Revelation chapter 1. But it's the change here in Matthew 17 that is catching my eye. I mean, that must have been quite something for Peter, John and James to take in, don't you think? The change there. And, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. By way of context, Elijah had been swept up to heaven in a whirlwind when chariots and horses of fire passed through some 750 years or so before this scene here at the top of this high mountain. You may know that story. It's in 2 Kings chapter 2. By way of context, Moses had died in Moab about another 750 or so years before that. Here they both now are talking with Jesus. That must have been hard to take in. And yet they see them and and they hear them. And I don't know how, but somehow they know. It's Moses and Elijah talking with their Jesus. Luke tells us in his account of this, he tells us what Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about. Literally, it says in Luke, they were talking about Jesus' exodus. The exodus that Jesus was about to fulfil in Jerusalem. And I don't know if that's meant to make us think of, of Israel's exodus under Moses all those years ago. But I tell you, there are a lot of Old Testament echoes kind of running through here that it's hard to nail down. But uh, let me tell you, after Israel's exodus, way back when, you might know from Exodus 24, Moses did what? He went up a high mountain. And there on that high mountain, Moses talked with God. Elijah too went up a high mountain in 1 Kings 19 where he talked with God. And now Jesus takes his inner group of three uh, up a high mountain. And they see Moses and Elijah. And they see them both talking with Jesus. With Jesus, whose face had begun shining like the sun and his clothes gleaming like light because he had been transformed before their eyes. Peter said to Jesus, verse 4, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Mark and Luke add the detail that Peter didn't really know what he was saying or or what to say. And I don't know if that means that he was just kind of blubbering away and and spellbound by all this or or if he didn't know the prophetic depth of, of what he did say. Because tent here is the old word for tabernacle. Tabernacle, which is what God had spoken to Moses about When Moses went to meet him on that mountain, in Exodus 24, running through 31, he spoke of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the dwelling place, and the various elements associated with that tent where the people of Israel were going to be able to worship the Lord God who would dwell there or tabernacle there in their midst. I don't know what's happening here. Peter in Matthew 17, not knowing what he was saying, was wanting to build a dwelling place, a, a tabernacle, a tent, for all three, 
Uh, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. Maybe it's just language, I don't know, but something is happening here. Something has swept Peter's mind away and his words, one way or another, are catching some kind of heavenly glory. That tabernacle word that Peter uses there was later used again by John, one of the other three men standing here. John wrote, I'm sure you might know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us for a while. Peter, I think, is getting some of that glorious truth about Jesus, even here in Matthew 17. But I'm also sure he doesn't fully know what. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So getting back to our original question on this call and whether we've got Jesus right and and got his call to us right, yes, yes, we are right to throw in everything and follow Jesus. Now, 17 chapters in to Jesus, calling people to follow him, and God the Father repeats from heaven what he said way back in chapter 3. For those Old Testament echoes tracking through this scene can't help us hear that that Jesus fulfills God's purposes for us, then, then surely the Father's own voice should be enough. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. The right response, I think, from from ordinary sinful men when the living and almighty God draws near. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. On the way down the mountain then, Jesus again speaks of Elijah and and John the Baptist. We thought about that connection last week. It harks back to the last words of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4. And it might be worth rethinking uh, as we try to wrap our heads around this transfiguration scene because perhaps Moses here represents the law and Elijah the prophets. Maybe I could read Malachi 4, just two verses. I'll read verse 4 and 5 of Malachi 4, where God had told us this. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, on the mountain that is, for all Israel. That was Malachi 4.4. Malachi 4.5, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Matthew chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus said he was not here to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And, and now he speaks with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Maybe they're here to represent the prophets and the law. And when Peter, James and John lifted up their eyes, they now saw only Jesus. Almost as if to say, that, that gospel that Jesus is calling people to is it's not contrary to God's law. 
It's not contrary to anything he told us through the prophets he would do. Jesus is here to fulfill all that God has ever said and promised to us. Anyway, it's a mystery, isn't it? The whole scene is without doubt shrouded in mystery. It's too glorious, I think, for you and I. And so I think our heads are supposed to be swirling around as we try to process this scene. But somehow this glorious picture here, the the metamorphosed Jesus, the voice of the Father from this glorious cloud and and Moses and Elijah and, and the conversation with Jesus and all the echoes from Old Testament running through here and spinning around this scene, it's all got to be here to give confirmation of, of Jesus and his gospel call and the sheer gravity of that call. Are we really to throw everything in, throw all of our hopes of heaven in with Jesus? Yes. Yes, friends, we are to throw everything in to following this Jesus. And of course he will bring us to God. He is the Son, the beloved Son, and he came to fulfill all of God's promises for us. And for what? To forgive us our sin, so as to bring us into the kingdom of heaven. Another Old Testament echo running through, when they come down the mountain, they come down the mountain to face unbelief. When they came to the crowd, verse 14, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Here's the rest of the disciples who who missed that scene on the top of the mountain and they're also having a hard time getting their their heads and their hearts around Jesus and and, and the size of this gospel call. He sounds almost frustrated here, don't you think, and and a bit harsh. Uh, Indeed, he rebukes the demon, but he also rebukes his own disciples. Where is your faith? Or maybe, in whom is your faith? Who exactly do you think you are trusting in and following in? Uh, when you're following me. These disciples, by the way, had previously been sent out by Jesus to heal the sick and cast out demons while preaching that the kingdom of heaven was near. And proclaim as you go, Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 10, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. That had been their commission, but they didn't quite get Jesus as much as they needed to get Jesus just yet, it would seem. 
Luke tells us further, though, that just after this, uh, what we're looking at here today, Jesus again sent out 72 disciples with that same ministry and authority. And he tells us that they went. And he tells us that they did these things too. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So yes, they will get the gospel of Jesus. Don't fall apart here in chapter 17. Luke also tells us about this healing here that Jesus just did at the bottom of the mountain. He tells us that everyone was marvelling at Jesus' power. All were astonished at the majesty, he says in Luke 9.43. All were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marvelling at, at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. In the midst of all these truly breathtaking, wondrous things that Jesus keeps doing, he keeps then bringing his disciples back to the why of all this. The reason that he had come was to die for our sin. You think he did let them enjoy the majesty of the moment a little bit longer. But no, straight back to this again. I mean, we finished on that note last week, if you remember, in chapter 16 and verse 21. But if you run your eyes back over the text we've read today, he's done it several times again. Is there in verse 9, as we're reading, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. He is here to die for everything they've just breathtakingly seen he is here to die the disciples asked him then why do the scribes say that first elijah must come and they've just seen elijah on top of that mount why can't they talk about that now doesn't that make sense isn't that how everything's supposed to unfold jesus but again jesus brings back uh, what matters and, and what's coming for him verse 12 i tell you that elijah has already come they did not recognize him they did to him whatever they pleased it's not the literal Elijah who they've just seen. It was John who would come. And we've talked about that, actually, because Jesus has already spoken to them about that when we were way back in chapter 11, if you recall. Here, Jesus wants to press on with his point. So also, so also, the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. John suffered and died. So too, Jesus is here to suffer and die. They killed John the Baptist, the Elijah figure whom God had promised in Malachi 4, 5 that I read before, and so too they will kill Jesus. And he knows that, of course. He knows that full well. He keeps saying this because he knows that this is going to happen because this is why he came. 
He will not let this go. And third time at the end, he says it again in verse 22, because we've got to lock this in if we're going to get Jesus. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed, greatly distressed, I'm sure, because despite everything Jesus was doing and all the wonders that they were seeing, Jesus keeps bringing them back to this, that he was going to Jerusalem to die. Why does he keep saying that? They must have wondered at times whether they'd actually got Jesus at all. They will get Jesus, as I say, but not just yet. What about you, if I could ask? Would you be comfortable enough to say in your journey that, that you get Jesus yet? As we work our way through Matthew's Gospel, as familiar as it might seem, would you, would you say that you've got a good enough hold of Jesus yet and, and what Jesus is all about? Have you thrown everything in with Jesus the way that he seems to keep calling us to? Do you get the gravity of what's at stake with that call? Do you get the weight of, of what he keeps saying as he calls? Have you understood why he keeps saying that, that he came to suffer and die? Have you understood, would you say that you have truly understood yet depth of your sin if this is why he came that God chose to do something so holy and so precious as this to cleanse you from your sin have you wrapped your head around that yet that for the sake of his righteousness God, God didn't just ignore your sin uh, as we would probably want him to do Please just forget about it, God. No, but that he paid for your sin such that your sin can't now be raised against you ever again if you follow this call. Have you grasped this truth from Jesus? It can't be raised against you and nor can anyone ever accuse God of being, I don't know, soft or corrupt or unjust or something about sin because he dealt with it. He dealt with it to its fullest extent by carrying out all of his righteousness against it in judgment. It's just that in his mercy to us, he carried out that judgment on Jesus, this son of man, instead of carrying it out on me and on you. Will we ever truly wrap our heads around this? If you haven't got that at all, then let me say, welcome to the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. This is what he's about. You can be forgiven of your sin through him. This is why he came. You can be forgiven of your sin through him and therefore received into this kingdom of heaven that, oh, by the way, is his. None of us ought to be received into that kingdom of heaven, mind you, but for this fact that Jesus died for our sin. So if you haven't heard this before and if, if you want to get Jesus, then, then this is what his gospel is about. And if you have got Jesus on that gospel, uh, can I ask this then? Uh, 
have you thrown in all, all your hopes of heaven? Have you thrown everything in with this? Are, are you trusting and, and following Jesus just as he called? Following him into the kingdom of heaven? That's where Jesus wants you to go. And it's how the Father wants you to come. They both say it right here. So let's not have any shadow of a doubt over this, brothers and sisters. This is of God for you and I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we always thank you for your scripture and we do so again today. Thank you for this gospel that Jesus keeps bringing us back to and this singular truth that he died for our sin. Help us, Father, to really get this gospel, to get it right down in the bottom of our soul and to stay with Jesus, come whatever may. So uh, on account of his word and his work for us, Father, we pray and we say, grant us this repentance, grant us forgiveness, Grant us, therefore, assurance of our salvation, assurance that we will be with you in the kingdom of heaven, in Jesus' name, world without end. And we pray all these things in his name. And we ask you, give us no shadow of a doubt. Amen.